Dear friends, this is the fourth episode on the Myth Pilgrim that follows the theme of Chinese philosophy and holiness. Today, I present before you Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a cultural icon not only in Asia but also in the West. Winning the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film in 2001, this great myth cannot easily be classified or categorized. The title "Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon" is a Chinese idiom that is used to describe someone where there is much more than meets the eye. While the film was heralded for bringing wuxia martial arts into Western consciousness, the film is also a sweeping love story, a socio-political commentary, and an exploration of Chinese philosophy. Particularly this episode, though, I will explore the relationship between order and chaos. Presenting in the second half of this episode, why both order and chaos have their essential place in Christian spirituality. To do this with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I will firstly explore the innate tension between Taoism and Confucianism, the two philosophies that have most shaped Chinese culture. You're listening to the Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Li Mu Bai, or Li, is a very skilled and disciplined swordsman trained in the Wudang arts. At the start of the film, he is wanting to retire and live out his final years in quiet contemplation. However, he is constantly distracted and feels drawn to resolve some unfinished business. As it turns out, this unfinished business is a woman he has secretly loved for decades, Xu Lian, who also secretly loves him. However, due to their strict honor in memory of a former friend, they have suppressed their feelings for one another and put duty first. This little plot all gets interrupted, however, when the legendary sword, the Green Destiny, gets stolen by a mysterious thief in the night. Significantly, this sword once belonged to Li, and the thief was actually a young woman named Jen, who in the daytime was an obedient, meek diplomat's daughter about to be married off to someone she didn't love. This was just a cover-up, though, for Jen was actually a very skilled and unruly learner of the Wudang arts. We soon learn that she had mastered these skills by secretly studying the ancient Wudang manual, something that her own mentor, Jade Fox, didn't even know about. To thicken the plot, Jade Fox is actually the film's chief villain, so to speak. And when Lee discovers that she was behind the stealing of the Green Destiny. He fully comes out of retirement in order to seek Jade Fox out and to avenge his former master, who had been killed by Jade Fox. We soon learn that Jen had actually surpassed her master in swordsmanship, but as a result was now a totally wild, destructive spirit with no one to guide her. There is a brief subplot where we learn that Jen had once run off with a Mongolian bandit named Lo when his group had ambushed her caravan. Anyway, Li and Xu Lian, the elders, <laughs> become aware of this secret love and offer to help the wild-spirited Jen elope with her lover. But Jen doesn't trust these elders have her best interest at heart. She insults Xu Lian to her face, which leads to the now very iconic face-off in the courtyard of Xu Lian's home, 
with Jen wielding the Green Destiny and Shulian a different array of weapons. Though Shulian is clearly the superior fighter, Lee interrupts the sword fight, offering once more to take Jen as his discipline. She runs off again and Lee pursues, culminating in the face-off in the bamboo forest. Lee tries to convince Jen that the sword alone doesn't make one great, but rather the integrity of the wielder. To prove his point, he throws the Green Destiny away down a waterfall, but Jen chases after it anyway, before being whisked away and rescued by Jade Fox. Secretly following his arch enemy into her lair, Lee then faces off to Jade and she is killed, but not before one of her poisoned darts pierces Lee's neck, giving him only two hours to live. Jen, finally moved to repentance, offers to quickly ride back to town to make an antidote for Lee. In the meantime back in the lair, Lee realises he only has one breath left to live, and using his final breath, decides to confess his undying love to Xu Lian before he dies, cradled in her arms. Jen returns with the antidote, but it is too late to save Lee. She sinks to her knees, offering her head to Xu Lian to rightfully take with the Green Destiny. But instead, Xu Lian breaks Wudang Protocol, and instead, gently instructs Jen to go to Wudang Mountain, where she would find Lo her beloved waiting for her, and then they could finally be together. But then the final shot is rather mysterious, depicting Jen choosing to leap off the mountaintop into the fog, in order to fulfill an ancient legend that grants anyone who leaps a wish that would certainly come true. Okay, so that's the story in summary. Before we deep dive into the Christian significance of the film, it's necessary to lay the foundations of both Confucian and Taoist thought, though some of you may remember bits and pieces from previous Chinese episodes. So Confucianism, founded by Confucius, is an ancient school of thought originating in the 5th century BC. It is all about right relationship between people, maintaining harmonious social order, filial piety, and respect for authority. Compared to Taoism, Confucianism is rather this-worldly, with little or no focus on the divine or the afterlife, but rather on establishing a good society and strong character here and now. If you want to understand the strong, undying honour Chinese people place upon their elders, their parents and mentors and bosses, <laughs> look no further than Confucius. In the order and chaos continuum, Confucianism definitely represents order. Taoism, then, is the philosophical tradition attributed to Lao Tzu, also originating from around the 5th century BC. It centres on finding and following the Tao, or the Way, an underlying natural principle that governs the universe. Taoists embrace spontaneity, simplicity, and living in harmony with nature. It encourages the practice of Wu Wei, or effortless action, moving with the flow, letting things unfold naturally without forcing outcomes. Unlike the emphasis on social ordering and rituals in Confucianism, Taoists seek to attain spiritual balance and inner peace. Across Chinese history, it is often characterised by a distinct lack of hierarchy or orthodoxy. In the chaos and order continuum, Taoism represents chaos. Chaos? <laughs> now, before you accuse me of being racist or simplistic, let me clarify what I mean by chaos this episode. When we Westerners think of chaos, we tend to think of mayhem and destruction and recklessness, a bit like the Joker character in the Batman series. But this is not what Chinese people mean by chaos, or the great myths. 
Rather, chaos is more about spontaneity, free-flowingness, like water. It is a creative energy, whereas order is a stabilizing energy. Chaos is the opposite of order, not in a bad sense, but in a complementary sense, the yin of the yang, if you like. We need both order and chaos in our lives in order to grow and to flourish, and we need them in right proportion. Too much chaos and our lives will become a destructive mess, and too much order and our lives become suffocated. Hence, both Confucianism, symbolic of order, and Taoism, symbolic of chaos, have played an integral part in Chinese culture. And if you ask me, it is precisely this harmonious dance that has enabled Chinese civilization to flourish and dominate for like four thousand years. That is until communism sort of arrived on the scene, which is an absolute disaster and shattered the very fabric of Chinese culture. Anyway, having now established the philosophical base for this episode, let's now comment on the main ways this order and chaos, Confucianism and Taoism, plays out in the movie *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*. First is the tension experienced by Li and Shulian in their relationship, which forms a sort of central drama to the story. On one hand, they want to adhere to the order. Honor and discipline of Wudan ethics. Shulian explains that she would never confess her feelings to Li because she had once been engaged to Li's close friend, who was later killed. In Chinese culture, engagement was still a bond to be honored, and so, in line with this Confucian tradition, they honored their deceased friend by staying chaste. Duty is also the highest ordering principle of Confucianism, over and above personal passions. When Jen and the stolen sword breaks into the story, Li puts duty ahead of love, seeking to honor his master's memory by killing Jade Fox before pursuing Xu Lian. This is filial piety at work, a central pillar of Confucian thought. While it is tragic that when Li finally confesses his love for Xu Lian, it is with his dying breath, there is something incredibly beautiful about their relationship that is so beautiful to watch. Theirs wasn't just a pure chaotic love with no regard for family, duty, or honor, but one tempered with rightful order. If the film was critiquing anything, it was perhaps the suppression of the naturally flowing Tao in Li and Xu Lian's relationship. And yet, it's beautiful to point out that in the final scenes, Xu Lian does break Confucian protocol by sparing Jen's life and empowering her to pursue her lover on Mount Wudang. Now, if you want to see what the unbridled seeking of Tao looks like, the film offers instead Jen and the Bandit Low. Even Jen herself is a sort of embodiment of raw chaos, if you like—wild, irresponsible, spontaneous, emotional, with no regard for others, honor codes, or her place in the established hierarchy. She yearns for total freedom, and to a degree, she actually gets it, which in the film is portrayed quite positively. But there is a cost. Her total breaking away from filial piety and marriage renders her friendless, and she even seeks to destroy her former master, Jade Fox, a massive sin within Chinese culture. Her romance with Lo was characterized by spontaneous chaos, taking place in the wilderness of southern Mongolia, away from civilization. While wildly romantic and free, its lack of structure and order actually didn't allow it to be long-lasting. And even the film's mysterious end seemed to hint that these lovers were not able to make it together. Yet Jen's story is not without redemption. In the final scenes, she finally chooses loyalty to Li and Xu Lian, her elders, offering to make the antidote, and when that fails, offers to make payment with her life. 
but the message of the film is clear. Chaos without order is also not the path to wisdom. Interestingly, it is the green destiny sword and the right wielding of it which sort of embodies the perfect dance between order and chaos. The sword is meticulously crafted yet graceful, casted from steel yet flexible, strong yet weightless. The sword is the perfect integration of both order and chaos. This is what makes it legendary. Further, Lee, to whom the sword rightfully belongs, tells Jen that to wield the sword properly requires both technical mastery and the mastery of the self, again referencing the coming together of the inner and outer selves, the realm of the Taoist and the realm of the Confucian. So, this is all insightful Chinese philosophy for a fictional film, but what relevance does it have for Christian living? We now move into reflection on the necessary harmony between order and chaos in the spiritual life. To do this, I will reflect on three levels that this is significant. First will be our healthy image of God. Secondly, our healthy image of the church. And thirdly, a healthy image of our prayer lives. Let's start with our image of God. Do we think we can ever fully grasp the person or personality of God? Think again, for God is both order and chaos. Does this sound scandalous? Remember that chaos this episode doesn't denote recklessness, but rather something more like creative spontaneity. Let's examine God revealed in the scriptures. In the beginning of his gospel, John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, according to this fourth gospel, is the embodiment of the Greek logos, the mind of God or the reason of God, depending on how you translate it. It was this same logos all the way back in Genesis that spoke the world into being, who literally created order out of chaos. We already intuitively know this about God because often when our lives display some sort of chaos, we pray to God for some semblance of order. So, is the Christian God all about order then? Well, no. For then you have the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the wild, creative love of God. Scripture tells us that he blows as he wills and no one can tell where he comes from and where he is going. At Pentecost, the neatly ordered, structured hierarchy of Judaism was shaken with the wildfire of God's Spirit challenging the stabilized hierarchy of who was in, who was out, who was chosen and who was not. So God can be chaos too, especially to those of us who have become a little too attached to order. Even when Jesus taught his apostles how to pray the Our Father, the first member of the Trinity, he starts by telling us two essential things about Abba Father. One, that he is a father, but also that his name is to be hallowed, reverenced. In other words, the Father is both familial and yet totally other, both order and chaos. What's the message here? Avoid putting God in a box. Avoid forming idols of God as complete order in one extreme or complete chaos in another. Rather, the very Godhead is a both and, and Christianity fully embraces this mystery.
Now we'll move on to the nature of the church as one of both order and chaos. This is such an important conversation to be having today within Catholicism, for there is a lot of either-or thinking that has crept in. Yet our theology reminds us that the church is both institutional and charismatic. It is both human and divine. It is both orderly and chaotic. Again, I emphasize, chaotic here doesn't mean disorderly, but rather creative and spontaneous. Chaos only becomes destructive chaos if all order is removed, in the same way that if we were to remove a fireplace around a fire, the fire would become destructive. Or think of a professional soccer game. The beauty of the game is given freedom within the structures of its rules and boundaries, and no soccer game would be worth watching if either its rules or its spontaneity were missing. So it is about the church. Even within this institution established by Jesus, the church is still animated by the breath of the Holy Spirit, who is passionate and powerful. Just read the Acts of the Apostles. Both tradition and creativity are essential, because that's exactly who the historical Christ was. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he came not to abolish wineskins, but to offer new wineskins for new wine. What has happened within parts of the church, however, is the artificial divide between the institutional and the charismatic dimensions of the church. On one extreme, you have churches that are like beautiful wineskins, devoid of wine, preferring structure and tradition over spontaneity, heart, and a genuine openness to the spirit working here and now. On the other extreme, you have churches that are all about the new wine of the Holy Spirit, but with no wineskins to contain them. These groups are all about spontaneity and a personal God with little respect for good liturgy, orthodoxy, or the legitimate leadership established by Christ. Now, I know that most churches are not in either extreme and are probably somewhere in the middle, but I'm deliberately painting a vivid picture to help us reflect on what the church should be. By now, you can probably appreciate how a particular spirituality of church is really a reflection of a particular image of God. This is why if you ever come into disagreement with a fellow believer about liturgy or orthodoxy, draw the conversation back to, what is your image of God? If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favorite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on the Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. And finally, the need for both order and chaos in our prayer lives. I wager by now you have begun to recognize the importance of both structure and spontaneity in the spiritual life, and this certainly extends into our prayer lives. We can ask ourselves, have I erred for one preference over the other? Too much order with no openness to chaos, or perhaps my prayer life is too chaotic with little care for order? These are revealing questions. The intellectual disciplines of Bible study are important, but so is the spontaneity of allowing scripture to speak to you, for example, through the Ignatian Imagination Prayer. The freedom of praise and worship is valuable, but so is the rhythmic meditation of the rosary. To actively engage with the Mass is important, but so is quiet time in adoration. 
There is a time for vocal prayer, and there is also a time for contemplative prayer, a time for speaking, as well as a time for listening, a time to activate change, and a time to simply let go and go with the flow. When seen in this light, we know something's gone wrong when our prayer lives cease to be something alive and living. This doesn't mean that prayer must always feel fruitful. Rather, it means that our prayer lives should reflect the nature of God himself, who is both ever ancient and ever new. On that note, dear friends, I will leave you to ponder the mysteries of order and chaos in your spiritual life and to find within your heart a place to reverence both. Until next time, journey forth, take care and God bless.